Faith Factor Impact, episode number four. Hey everybody, welcome to Faith Factor Impact, where we hang out with today's top nonprofit thought leaders to get refueled, reconnected, and inspiration. So let's go. I love the underdog. I'm always cheering for the underdog. I'm always seeing that potential in a person and saying, that's it, that's the person that's going to the next level and whatever I can do to pull them up, I want to be a part of it. Hello, Impact listeners. I'm Jesse Everline, your host, and I'm fired up and wired up. And I'm thrilled to welcome our featured guest today, Rachel Jackson. Rachel, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Thank you for having me. Rachel Jackson is the founder of Project Compassion and has provided outreach to homeless and low-income families since 2005. Project Compassion has served over 45,000 individuals through resources, workshops, and training programs, and has been a bridge to services for those in need. Rachel has been featured in a number of public domains to include the Huffington Post, a guest on the Tyra Banks show, and has been honored as one of 10 women of worth by L'Oreal Paris. Rachel is a top-notch thought leader who's doing work that matters and making an impact. So, Rachel, I've shared just a little bit with folks about you. Can you take a few seconds and fill in the gaps and uh, share a little bit with us about you and your organization? Sure, sure. Um, Project Compassion um, is a nonprofit organization that I started um, when I was 25, so that was 10 years ago. And um, the sole purpose uh, 10 years ago was to do an act of kindness. Um, I was a single mother then of a one of a three-year-old and just really felt blessed uh, to have not have been touched by some of the poverty that I had seen, not because I had made the right choices, um, but because I believe that God was very uh, merciful to me in, in situations that I had been in. And His grace had just truly allowed some things to not to not touch me and affect my life. And so because I knew this, I felt compelled to do something to help someone else that probably didn't have um, the knowledge or the experience of God the way I did, nor did they have the support system in a family. So I said, well, you know what? I got, I got a little bit. Why don't I share? And so um, I rallied my family and friends. And so that's how Project Compassion was, was truly birthed. It was an act of kindness um, through me just reflecting on what could have been in my own personal life. Um, I was a full-time student at the time, getting my bachelor's in business. Um, again, like I said, a single single mother. Um, I now have two children, uh, two additional children, so I have three children. Um, and just have watched Project Compassion grow uh, from this grassroots organization of faith into uh, what many are calling uh, a huge impact on our community. Um, it, it's been done, you know, truly on faith. And so um, I'm very proud. I'm proud of the work that, that has been done through me. Awesome, Rachel. Thank you for sharing that. So, Rachel, we always start the show off with the reflection. You know, it's a moment to like quiet the noise and really do just that. Reflect on something of insight and inspiration. So take a moment and and share with us what's on your heart. You know, my my biggest reflection, you know, really over the last uh, few days, if not few months, has just been the faithfulness of God and how in spite of all the things that we do, um, all the things that we do wrong, all the things that we do that are often inconsiderate and, and just really not well thought out, God remains faithful to us. 
And if you really think about just how much it means to be faithful to someone, it's, it's no matter what we do, no matter how wrong we are, he still wraps his arms around us and he takes care of us. And he, you know, he sees us beyond our faults and he takes care of our needs. That has really just stuck with me as I, I continue my journey and just trying to be the best I can be um, to him and, and to my calling in life. I love it. Be faithful, his faithfulness. Um, he clothed. I mean, I, I like that. I like that. Thank you so much for sharing that. So, Rachel, yeah, you've had welcome. you've had an interesting journey and you shared a little bit with us already about um, your journey and how you uh, got to where you are today. But can you kind of walk us through the steps you took? So right now you're, you know, running a nonprofit. You started a nonprofit. And, you know, I'm just curious and our listeners are curious, like, how did you get to where you are? What steps did you take uh, to arrive where you are today? Well, um, I, I, I really wish that it was a simple manual to say this is what I followed. Um, but once I stepped out on faith to do Project Compassion, again, it was never meant to be a nonprofit organization. So you have to understand, in my mind, this was just a one once a month activity. We would go out and pass out a thousand sack lunches. However, three months into doing it, the Tyra Banks show contacted us Mm -hmm. and she wanted to share our story. She was doing a feature on her then talk show and they wanted to uh, honor or recognize someone that was doing um, extraordinary work in their community, just an ordinary person. And so um, I was selected and went out to L.A. and was featured on her show. And she then gave me $10,000 to pursue any other dream um, outside of Project Compassion that I wanted to do. It was during that time that I came home. And really, it was a big deal to me, Jesse. It was a big deal to me. But I didn't think it was going to be a big deal to everyone, not as big as it became. And so um, I went in January. It didn't air for two weeks. So the night, the day before it aired, she started getting kind of these media calls and it's like, okay, yeah, I love to talk about being on Tyra. And from that, uh, we made front page of the paper. And when I told you the phone calls and the donations and the support just kind of started moving Mm. in and it was like, wow. And so from there, I began to really structure and organize, um, it, it as a formal nonprofit organization, making sure that everything was in the right place. And so from there, um, it just really kind of took a life of its own. It, the community uh, really embraced it. Um, Project Compassion was birthed during a time when we were really getting hit hard with uh, pretty much coming up on the recession. And uh, this is 2006 now. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at a lot of the churches aren't taking mission trips because a lot of things were going on overseas. Mm -hmm. So uh, Project Compassion, because our, our original outreach was going out to feed the homeless, making the care packages, making the food, it became a local mission trip. So we had churches that were within maybe two to three hours of where we are that were like, hey, this is great. We can't go to um, Mexico or we couldn't go to Africa this year. This is a great way to do a mission trip. And so that really became our initial niche was a local mission trip for churches. And then schools caught on. And then they, the Pay It for, for, Forward movement got started. And so from there, it was like, you know, it was something that was existing as the world began to embrace its own local surroundings of things that were happening. Mm. And so once 
um, we were out, I wanted to find out more about homeless. How do, how do you truly get to living in a box? Nobody's born to live in a box. Like when you're born and they say, where do you live? Chances are they don't say, oh, I'm going to go find me the best box in the right. city. Um, so it was important for me to find out how did we get here, especially when I started seeing more women and children. And so I engaged and a lot of it was life. They were hit by life, Jesse, from divorce to GM Motors had just closed here in uh, St. Louis area, uh, death, things that affected them that happens to some of us every day or can happen to any of us at any time. They did not have the life skills. These women were lacking life skills to bounce back. They didn't know where or what to do, and they didn't really have the spiritual stability. Mm -hmm. And so I said, you know what, again, I have some knowledge. I know people that have knowledge. Together, we can make a difference for these women. And so I started going from shelter to shelter doing it. And then after that, we started, uh, I I was wearing myself out. And I said, you know what, let's open a resource center. And it could become like a a little um, workforce development training facility. We can teach the life skills in the workforce. And that's what we did. We opened a resource center. Uh, became certified in all of the trainings that you need. I'm really big on not having anything I can't operate, so not having to depend on making sure we have people in place sometimes um, to to run programs. I made sure I was certified in the programs which we needed to run and operate um, and made sure uh, we had everything we needed um, here. So from there, we opened the Resource Center. We're going into our fifth year. Um, of having the resource center and it became also our administrative office as well as uh, a free store so that the parents could come in and shop for free for their children um, and then we still make our sandwiches every month here so we I built programs based on need there wasn't there's a lot of funding state federal funding and all that's wonderful um, but when all of that money goes away or funding is cut the need remains so I built programs based on need first and then I solicited for funding because now I can show you a real outcome. I can show you a real need, not based on, oh, there's money. Sure, let's create this now, design the way the money tells us to do it. I, I created the program based on how the need needs to be met. And then I went for the money to supply it, That's, if that makes sense. It makes complete sense. And, and Okay. I, you know, what's what's wonderful about the way that your story is unfolding is that, you know, you you started off by talking about this was never intended to be a nonprofit. I was just out here trying to do work that mattered to me. And lo and behold, you know, things unfolded in the way that it was designed and destined to be. And um, I, I think that's a, a great um, message and, and a lesson for a lot of folks that are listening today that, you know, may think that they have to have some kind of an edifice, if you will, to to do some work mm-hmm. uh, that that matters. Right. So um, awesome story, Rachel. I mean, just, you know, that's the reason why people keep reaching out to you because of the passion that's coming through on the call today. So thanks for that. So, Rachel, after you've reached a point where you are today, um there can sometimes be this perception that things always work out for you um, and you don't have any problems, if you will. But you and uh-huh. I know that that's not the case and that you've had what mm-hmm. we call some valley moments. And so can you mm-hmm. kind of get real with us a little bit and tell us one of maybe the most challenging valley moments you've had? Oh, wow. Uh, are we speaking from a personal sense or from a actual nonprofit um Whichever one sticks out the most for you, like you just just take us there. Oh wow! You know, I, I think that um, 
you're right. You're, you're dead on. I think that the perception is that everything is right because all things are wor- things are working out. But truth of the matter, all things do work out for our good. But we have to first go through that valley before we can get to the good. Um, two of the two of the darkest valleys for me. Uh, one was when I was 19. I lost my mother. Um, I had made a decision to move to Kansas City and to um, follow a gentleman out there, and that turned out to not be the right choice for me. My mother had pretty much begged me not to go, but when you're 19 and you got a cute face telling you, you know, everything you want to hear and, and, and believe, you, you go for that. And while out there, um, she succumbed to cancer, a cancer that we did not even realize was attacking her the way it was attacking her. So I went from being this 19-year-old hard-headed to, uh, young girl to being a 19-year-old grown-up. Mm-hmm. And so I began to really have to figure out life. Um, looking back now, my mother was diagnosed with cancer when I was uh, in the sixth or seventh grade. And I'm her youngest. I'm the youngest of um, three. Um, so my older siblings were out of the house, and I was the one at home. And it was during that time that my mother would teach me how to balance a checkbook. Um, she would show me, she would take me to work with her and I would watch her do certain business things. And as a little kid, you're kind of like, Oh, here we go. But what she was doing was she was preparing me because she probably didn't know at that time if she had, you know, another 10 years or 10 days. So she was really equipping me with a lot of things, um, that even now I'm still able to reach into life's bag and pull out. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of values. My mother was God-fearing. Um, if you didn't get up on a Sunday morning to go to church, you better show her blood or you better be on your <laughs> last breath yourself. There was no missing church in her house. Um, and so it's those values and those morals of, of God and who he is and the constant reminder that um, he's the one, like trust him no matter what you go through. But after she died, it took me a while to, to, to grab that because I became angry at God. Um, my question to him primary was, how can this God, who she has taught me about all my life, love me so much but hurt me so deep? Mm. Because this was, you know, this was the biggest heartbreak you could possibly imagine for a 19-year-old. And so I began to kind of spiral out of control. Um, I've often shared that uh, I will wake up frustrated that I was still alive, but I was too afraid to die, meaning I didn't have the courage to take my own life. So I just kind of like, let's, let's end this. But every day I wake up and I have to live this, this, what I at that time felt like this dreadful life uh, without my mother. Um, she was my accountability partner. Um, no matter what I did wrong, she was going to always be there for me. Um, I was her baby. And so when you had that person in your life and suddenly it's taken from you, my family was great, but they allowed me to do everything I wanted to do, good, bad, and ugly. And so by doing that, um, I just fired. I did a lot of drinking and partying. I wanted to numb my hurt. I dropped out of school. I broke up the relationship and came home. Now suddenly it made sense. Go figure, right? Mm-hmm. Um, everything I wanted to do or felt like doing, I did. And I um, I got pregnant with my son. And suddenly that became my, you got to get it together, girl. Um, I do not promote premarital sex. I do not promote uh, children out of wedlock at all. But it was my saving grace. It was the thing that said, hey, if you can't do it for you, do it for this kid that Mm -hmm. you're about to bring into this world. And so that became my wake up. And the first thing I did was uh, when I came to myself was I I, kind of made peace with God again from the sense of I'm still mad, but I need you. And I don't know how I'm going to get over this frustration I feel, but I need you. 
And so that became a journey for me, uh, Jesse, a real journey. It became a journey of transformation as a woman, and then it became a transformation for me as a woman of God. Mm-hmm. And they are two very different people. And so it, it really changed me. I, I, I finally came to the realization as I began to go through this process of Project Compassion that God has never owed me anything. And even though I felt like that that was my darkest moment, it was also a moment to where he has carried me and he's kept me through it. And and so when I talk about not being that woman that was sleeping on the doorway, at 19, I could have been. Because when you drive home suddenly from Kansas City and you used to driving straight to your mom's house and you get into the middle of the highway and you realize, I have nowhere to go. You know, I have a brother and a sister, but they're married. So you can't just show up and say, hey, I'm going to live here. And so I had a wonderful aunt. My mom had some amazing siblings, and she told me I was more than welcome to stay in her home. And so that's what I did. But um, I hadn't always done right by them. I hadn't always been the most polite. So it it was a lot of uh, humbling and a lot of... um, a lot of extended grace to me during that time. And so that became my, my, my flag of surrender to God at that point in my life that you've taken me through one of the hardest things I could ever go through in life, wow. you know, and I'm pretty sure there's going to be more, but that was the absolute hardest thing I've ever had to go through um, in my life is burying my mother and continuing to live. Wow. What a powerful story. I mean, what a, what a powerful story. If I had to ask you, Rachel, like, tell me the one thing through, through all that you shared that was your biggest takeaway. Hurt never lasts forever. Mm. That even though you're in your deepest pain, it never lasts forever. You eventually get to a point where you, you, it makes you sad sometimes, but it doesn't hurt anymore. Mm-hmm. I like that. So yeah, I've learned, yeah, I learned that you don't hurt forever. Good message. Good message. I, I will I will put that in my in my pocket and hold that with me. <laughs> so so this is kind of a perfect, perfect transition. I, I want to get into um, leadership, I- impact leadership. And, you know, some have the opinion that uh, perhaps it's more difficult to run and lead a nonprofit than, say, a corporation. I'd be interested to hear your perspective on on that opinion. Um, There are two types of leaders. There's ordinary leaders and there's extraordinary leaders. And um, you got to be willing to be extraordinary when you talk about running nonprofit. Okay. Um, because you're going to, you're going to have to, you have, you don't have a structured um, team at times. Mm-hmm. Um, you have people that work for money and you have people that work for heart. And then you have people that want to work for passion or volunteer for passion. You have to be able to guide sometime all three different sets at one time which means that you have to decrease yourself at times and then at the same time increase yourself to ensure that the the, the function of the, the, the nonprofit or the team continues to remain. Um, everybody looks for you for leadership. You're never the follower, Not no matter what, you, no matter how much you try to step behind everybody, no matter how much you say, hey, you take the lead, mm-hmm. you're going to always be looked to to be the leader. And so that's what makes you have to, you have to be that extra in the ordinary to make sure that you are giving the extra. Um, you don't get to cry over the losses alone. Sometimes you don't get to cry over them at all. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you have to work wounded. Um, and then sometimes your victories are sure celebrated. You know, you don't get to stay and celebrate the whole the whole entire time, but you get to just show up for the party, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so as a leader, you have to be willing to switch all of that on and off when, when you're talking about guiding a team, especially in nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Well, good. So, so you know, when I talk to success, successful leaders like yourself, there's often like this defining moment along your leadership journey that really sticks out. What would you say has had the greatest influence on your leadership style? I think that I lead the way I will want to be led. And I often um, handle volunteers and staff the way that I would want to be handled in a situation. And so being that I've had great leaders in my life and I've had some poor leaders, I think that I've pulled from each one of them, especially the great ones. But I've also pulled over the ones that were just horrible in leadership, based on my opinion. And I've tried to be that leader that shared that balance. Um, I believe in integrity. I believe in standing on right. Um, I want to hear what you're saying. But at the end of the day, for me, it comes down to what is the right thing to do. Even if we're wronged, even if we have been wronged in the situation, we must do what is right. Mm -hmm. We must respond in the right manner. We must give in the right manner. And we must hold to our word uh, to ensure that our integrity and, and, and the outlook of our organization remains in place. Mm. So you've looked at, at on both sides of, of the of the both table, sides. those that mm-hmm. you've uh, admired, uh, maybe uh, some up close and others from afar and then others uh, that have not been so great. And so. Right. And taking what you what you needed to take to uh, to, to shape your your leadership style. I like that. So, you know, we believe and you kind of started off with this, um, with your your comments about the difference between, you know, an an ordinary leader and an extraordinary leader. And we believe that effective leadership can be the difference between surviving and thriving. And and so as a nonprofit leader, what does effective leadership mean to you? And, And give me some specifics, if you would. And what would you say really separates the good from the great? Um, I think that effective leadership is having a strong team, uh, being able to effectively communicate with your team, and then a growth. Um, anything that is not growing is dying. Mm-hmm. And so when you're in a when you're in a position of nonprofit and leadership, you're constantly looking for ways to grow and evolve and take things to a higher level, a different level, a better le- level. And so by doing that. You have to always keep your hand um, kind of on the pulse of everything to make sure that the, everything is beating accordingly and giving everybody room to, if, if I find you a task, so I have a, we do a girls conference here called Girls on Purpose. It's done um, once a year. It's a one-day conference where girls come together who we've impacted through our self-esteem and character development programming, and they do a one-day conference of all-day empowerment. Um, there is a team of eight women that um, have been on this team. We're going into our third year now. They have, they came to the table because I invited them and I said, I have something I want to share. I gave them all the clear plan and then I assigned them their task. By assigning them their task, I did it based on their personalities where I thought their strengths and weaknesses were. And then I gave them the opportunity to take your task and be as creative and as open as you can be within your task. Because if I give them a task and then say do it this way, I haven't given them the task. Now, all final uh, proofs and, and, and answers have to come through me, but I've given you so much room to make decisions and to make choices and to give answers to where when you come to the table, you feel like you're just as much a part of this 
So the day of the conference, is, it isn't Rachel. It's a team of eight women. Mm-hmm. If you know anything about women, <laughs> eight women, three years in a row, still able to get along, no cat fighting. Working perfectly. Stuff, perfectly. That in itself is a miracle from God. But um, just being careful and, and, and giving everybody room to disagree. I mean, they disagree with me, and I think it's hilarious. Because, yeah. you know, I tell them that at the end of the day. I think I'm going to do what I want to do. But I, I hear them, though. I, I'm always open to hearing them, and I'm always open to say, okay, that is your task. I'm going to let you make the final decision on that, but this is how I feel. Mm-hmm. And hopefully they take it into consideration because in order to make them great and extraordinary leaders, guess what? They're going to have to learn through their task and their trial and their era, uh, errors. I can't hold their hands always. I like it. And so, yeah, so that that's truly how you can build a build a great team. And then you're good to great is just always making sure that whatever you did good that time. So with our conference, you know, we felt like and we walked away. Number one, we exceeded all of our expectations, exceeded mm-hmm. um, all of them. And so by exceeding all of them, we sat there in our next meeting for the new for the upcoming year, which was uh, March of 2015. And I, I said to them, I said, I'm almost afraid to do it again. And they were like, what? Are you serious? No. I said, you got to understand, the bar is so we the We left the bar high. Mm-hmm. And it was unintentional. So because we left the bar so high, we now have to go from that high good bar to a great bar. So we had to set real high for us for 2015. And it was almost unintentional. But, I mean, we you know, God blessed us and we were able to do it. Yeah, I like it. Team, growth, evolve, give people room to perform. Um, yeah, that's 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 good stuff. So so, Rachel, I want to get inside of your head right now. And, and I'm I'm going to ask you a couple questions and I want I want to get as quick a response from you as possible. Sure. So let's 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 do it. Let's get inside of Rachel's head. Name the two top skills you believe are needed to be successful as a nonprofit leader that perhaps were not as critical in the past. Uh, effective communication and strategic planning. And so I'm also sure that you've had a ton of things that call for your attention and your time, but what do you find yourself most often thinking about and why? I enjoy when I do workshops and speaking. Um, I love to talk. I I love to communicate. I love to to reach people. And so I love direct service. Um, I'm quick to come out of my office when there's clients in the office and sometimes I'll do an intake or just love on a client or chat with the client because I love that direct one-on-one contact. I like sometimes working a client directly myself um, because it just, again, reminds me of some things. And so I enjoy that. I enjoy the direct contact and the communicating in the workshops and programs that we facilitate. Mm, good, good, good. So this, this is perfect because the next question I have is, um, you know, there's a there's a lot of research out there that that really talks about operating in your area of strength to get the greatest results mm-hmm. at a, as a leader. And as a nonprofit leader, you mentioned this earlier, there are a lot of hats that sometimes you have to carry, you have to wear um, to get things done. But, you know, operating in that strength is what we call your genius talent. Um, Mm -hmm. and we believe that every individual has this genius level talent. And so tell us, Rachel, what would you say your genius talent is? Um, and, and how do you manage to kind of stay focused in that area of strength? Wow. Um, I I would find that my genius talent is, uh, I'm a visionary 
And I believe I'm not only my visionary, but I can implement very well. And so being able to, to implement what you envision is, is, is truly a gift and a talent because sometimes you can only see, but you can't, you don't know how to actually apply it. And so being able to see something and to vision it and then to actually implement it into play mm-hmm. is something that um, I've, I have as a great strength. It has allowed me to do a lot of grant writing. It's allowed me to do a lot of unique and um, innovative program programming structure that um, really hadn't existed before because I've been able to see exactly where um, a niche or something is missing within that programming or where a need in being met and to develop programming to ensure that it's effective. Mm, that's good. And, and so, Rachel, let me let me ask you, like when you when you talk about being a visionary, um, kind of walk me through that. Like, what does that mean? Make that real for me. And what does that look like on a day to day basis for you? Um, just seeing, uh, we're going back to that growth, going back to, okay, yeah, we're doing it this way, but how can we grow it? Oh, we've done, we've done a program a certain way for two years or three years. How can we now take it to another level? Mm-hmm. Um, how has the need of that program changed to where we can take it to another level? The way we fed the homeless in 2005 is not how, how we feed the homeless in 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, how we teach moms in 2011 is not how we teach our moms in 2015 because I'm constantly looking for ways to develop them to another level, meeting them where they are, but developing them to another level Mm. to see where we can take our programming to see what's missing, what's not being done. Because sometimes you see the same outcome over and over. And it's like, how can we get a different outcome from our clients, from our girls um, each time from the community? How can we get a different outcome? Mm. Good, good. So you've you've got this visionary talent. You 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 know how to take something and you know how to implement it. But tell us something that you struggle with. Oh, I you know I I fill my plate up, Jesse, um, and I'm getting to a point much better with becoming selfish with time management. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to try to say, well, if there's 14 hours in a day, make sure every hour has something on it, and that's not being effective. Um, I'm, I'm learning to be more selfish and blocking off my schedule and being more selfish with, uh, being able to say no, mm-hmm. no, that doesn't fit. And, uh, being able to say, I cannot attend every meeting. Yeah. There are some meetings. I just need you to tell me what you need me to do. I do not have time to sit in six meetings to talk about what we're going to do. Just tell me where you need me. Yeah. And so, uh, time management is something that I've had to really, really learn to become selfish and, and, and focused and disciplined with um, in order to, to be effective and continue to be effective. Good, good. So I want to shift a little bit here. Thank you so much for sharing that um, amazing insight. Um, I want to shift a bit and talk about uh, some of the, the community work that you do. You know, as, as you know, better than anyone, there, there are so many needs in our communities. And so what are you and your team doing right now uh, that most excites you? Oh, wow. Right now we are on this huge movement with, uh, with youth and girl with a focus on girls. And our biggest movement right now is self-esteem and self-worth. And it's not trying to make them sassy or, or feel like, oh, I'm better than you. It's about taking them to that level of saying you can be anything and you can accomplish anything. We deal with a, um, a group or demographics of individuals that are from low-income poverty. Some are homeless. And it's important to teach them that you can break your poverty cycle if you continue your education. 
if you pursue um, an education or a trade outside of high school. And so we're working very closely with the schools. Our goal is to do be in 15 schools by the end of 2015, and we're in 12. That's uh, elementary through high school, awesome. implementing self-esteem and character development and self-worth, being able to uh, drive these kids to want to do more um, to show them and help them with positive behavior, changing their behavior. So we're extremely excited about that and about um, getting them ready for some workforce development as well. That's great. I mean, you're you're just halfway through the year, and uh, you're you've you you know definitely going to meet your your fifteen mark. I mean, you're already at twelve. So congratulations on that, Rachel. Good stuff. Thank you. Thank you. So most nonprofits rely heavily on donors um, to fund their mission and their work, um, and so to keep them interested in giving time and time again, you need to demonstrate and quantify your impact. So. What's you? What's your organization's approach to to quantifying your efforts with data? You can you know to kind of talk about what you're doing with um, the program you're where you're working with um, young girls, or you could talk about any other program uh, that that you all have put on. Um, well, I've, uh, the programs most with our donors again is sticking with our original program of what we call now Compassion Day, where we go out and feed the homeless. Okay. Um, it is and continues to be our biggest. Uh, program when it comes to volunteers and donors and wanting to get involved. And so giving them the opportunity to actually serve, actually come out and participate, um, being available for them when we have programs and, and, and things going on, we invite them to attend. We invite them to volunteer. We are a community-based organization, which means we've never received any state or federal funding. Mm-hmm. We rely solely on the community uh, and grants and fu- as our funding stream. So by doing so, we have to be a little bit more open to allowing them to come in and volunteer and take part and just being more transparent when it comes to seeing exactly how um, our programs and our services are ran um, Mm -hmm. here um, Mm -hmm. at the center. And then when we go out and that's all the way across the board, Uh, we invite every we invite them to come. We invite if it's a business, we invite your staff to come out and volunteer with us as well. That's great, Rachel. So kind of I want to go a little bit deeper here. So um, you, you're inviting folks in. They're volunteering with you. Is there is there like do you use uh, some kind of uh, data repository to really kind of um, I mean, because one of the things that you do and, and I was it was easy for me to figure out how many people you've actually served. Like, how do you go about collecting the data that you use to really share some of those statistics with folks that are maybe interested in in getting involved and, and maybe funding um, many of your programs? Uh, when we go out and feed the homeless, we do a counting system. So each individual that we physically make contact with, we count. Every shelter that has at, requested um, donations from us, we count. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we load that into a database for that particular month. Each client that comes in completes an intake. So we have a, an overall intake. It takes about 45 minutes when you come here for your initial appointment. Okay. That way we get your information. We load you in. You're in our system, and we work with you up to one year. So for, throughout that year, we work with you unless we lose contact or something happens with the information. So being able to make contact. And then whenever we do programs in the school, we have a sign-in sheet. It's then brought back here and we have an administrator, um, administrative assistant that actually loads all of our um, participants into a database. And then there's a running attendance. So we're able to say who initially started, when they fell off, if they fall off, or who, how many have completed the actual program. Mm. 
Great, great, great. And so we can, yeah, we compile all of that on a monthly basis at the end. Okay, this is how many we've reached through this program, that program. Wonderful. Uh, that's uh, how how soon before you start you you got into um, Project Compassion? Did you start collecting that kind of data? I mean, was it kind of right out of the gate? You know, were you kind of a data geek, or or did did it happen like kind of you know at some point later down the line? Um, I think some point later, because initially our only program for the first three years was feeding the homeless. Mm-hmm. Um, we've always made 1,000 bags. So that was our number. Okay. It was 1,000. And so knowing that, you knew, okay, we made 1,000 bags. We don't come back with any bags. We gave out 1,000 bags. Um, it wasn't until I started getting into grant writing, which was probably, so we started in 2005, 2007. That I needed, I realized I needed to collect the data because um, when you're reporting and requesting funding, they don't want fluff; they want real numbers. Right. And so I started collecting so that I could give out real numbers versus the fluff that, oh, this is a great organization, you know. Yeah, but I, I love that. And you know, one of the things that we share with our impact listeners is that, you know, you may not necessarily be thrilled about collecting data, but you better believe that if you want people to continue to contribute to your cause, um, and it takes a lot of resources, whether whether it's people's time or their mm-hmm. talent or or their money mm-hmm. uh, to do the kind of things that you're doing, Rachel. So thanks for, for sharing some of those quick tips. So we, we're at the point in the interview where I'm going to ask you the ultimate faith factor question, and that is how has your faith shaped your success in the work that you do? Wow. Um, so I guess compassion truly has shaped my faith. Um, looking at how we start and looking at each um, each year, um, it was some days or some months that it felt like this is it. We're going to go under. You know, I'll just share this. Shortly after I started Project Compassion, I got married, and um, it kind of came down to a point where we were deciding on if I should continue or end. And I was willing to kind of give it up and just focus solely on, you know, my new life here as, as a married woman. And um, I went to God first, though, because some some things you know God tells you to do. I know he told me to start Project Compassion. Mm-hmm. And so by me knowing that, I didn't want to get in any kind of trouble here. So I went and I said, look, I'm, you know, God, this is it. Um, you know, I'm going to let this go, but I need you to release me. I need a peace. I need to know that you want me to let this go. And one night while laying in bed, he woke me up and he just simply whispered, if you make yourself available, I will provide. Mm. And from that night to this day, he has done just that. We have never missed a beat. It could be the day of, it could be the hour before. God always show up. You know, now we're living more in an overflow and there's extra this and too much of that. And, and I don't take it for granted. I don't, I'm a good steward. Uh, I believe in being a great treasure over everything because I know that there was a time when, you know, we, we prayed for the rain and, and now that it's raining, you don't just waste the water. You continue to make sure you're storing and you're keeping and, and, and you're showing yourself to be faithful over the few that he's giving you. So mm-hmm. it's, that's something that I don't think I would have ever done on my own if I hadn't experienced the way I've, I've experienced it through uh, working with Project Compassion. Wow. Rachel, you've got there, there's so much enthusiasm kind of oozing through the call here. And, and I'm, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, like, you know, there are a lot of things that you do. And so kind of tell me, like, what are you most passionate about? And and how did you for our listeners kind of tell me, how did you discover that that thing? Right. That that really out of everything that you do, you're like, man, this is the thing that really gets me up in the morning. You know what? All of it. 
all of it, get helping making a difference to people, Jesse. That's my passion. Uh, when I'm not working Project Compassion, I have a consulting company, and I help other uh, growing nonprofits do exactly what I'm doing. I empower them, and I strengthen them, and I develop their paperwork, and I help them organize what they need, something that I didn't have. And so anything that makes a difference in the life of a person, I do it. I love the underdog. I'm always cheering for the underdog. I'm always seeing that potential in a person and saying, that's it. That's the person that's going to the next level. And whatever I can do to pull them up, I want to be a part of it. And so anything that, that makes a difference in the life of a person, whether it be giving them food, whether it be helping them develop a nonprofit, whether it be just sitting in my office and encouraging them to not give up, I wake up every day to do just that. Mm, got it. Got it. That's good stuff. Good stuff. So as we come to a close, Rachel, I've got to ask you this question. If you could talk to little Rachel and you could give her one piece of advice, what would it be? Wow. I think I would tell little Rachel that everything is going to work out in the end. Don't give up. Mm. And just believe in yourself now because everything is going to everything is going to work out. Mm. I like that. And Rachel, if you could share one book that you've read that has a lasting impact on the way that you approach your work, what would it be? Seven Tools, Seven Tools or Seven Steps to a Successful Leader. And as we part, can you share one tip or action our listeners can take to make an impact, say, in the next one to two weeks, and then share where people can find out more about you and we'll sign off? Um, one of the biggest things you can do to make an impact is get started. You know, if you have a passion or desire in your heart and you know it is your purpose, it's no, you know it's what God has called you to do, then do it. Step out there, do your homework, get started with the little you have. Quit thinking about the big picture of money and all of that. Just look at what, start where you are with what you have um, and, and get started on that purpose. Um, I can be reached um, at my office, uh, my number is 618-397-1790. Or I can be reached at Rachel at RachelRenata.com. Um, or you can find me on Facebook. I'm Rachel Jackson Bramwell on Facebook over Project Compassion NFP on Facebook. Awesome, Rachel. Impact listeners, you've heard it before. The difference between the you now and the you later are the people you meet and the books you read. And you've been chatting with Rachel Jackson and Jay Everline. Rachel, thank you for making an impact in your community and for joining the show today. Folks, when you have a chance, head over to FaithFactorImpact.com where you can access the show notes page for this episode by simply typing in Rachel Jackson. And as always, until next time, let's go make an impact.